Hello and welcome to One to Grow On, a show where we dig into questions about agriculture and try to understand how food production impacts us and our world. My name is Hallie Casey and I studied and currently work in agriculture. And I'm Chris Casey, Hallie's dad. Each week we pick an area of agriculture or food production that confuses a lot of people and try to get Hallie to explain it. And this week we are talking about biodiesel. <laughs> Which totally makes sense to me. I am not confused about why this would be a topic on an agriculture podcast at all. Are you being facetious? No, no, I'm serious. Like, it makes sense because okay, you, you said you, that you, in a way where it sounded like you were joking. You grow plants and you turn the plants into gasoline or, or diesel, rather, you know, fuel, plants into fuel, and then your uh -huh. car goes and it's, it's this magical, environmentally friendly process. You got that math worked out, sounds like. There you go. So uh, why, what's so great about it? Why do we care about biodiesel? Well. Enlighten us. Well, uh, I don't think we're going to start there. That's where we're going to end, where we're going to kind of figure out if we actually do care about biodiesel. Is this something that is actually environmentally friendly? Is this something we actually want to be investing resources into? There's a lot of questions around that. So I figure first we can kind of talk about what it is, and then we can kind of discuss what some of the pros and cons are. So what is it? Well, what, how much do you know? You figured out the plants go in cars, right? You got that plants part Plants go down. in cars. Uh, it's a biofuel. Um, you, you take some corn or some algae or something like that, and I don't know, you squeeze you squeeze it out or you get some the grease out of the grease trap at your local restaurant um mm -hmm. and you you put it in a little chemistry mixer and you do some chemistry on it and uh and i mean i know i was a chemistry major but <laughs> i didn't study the specific reaction no you got it out comes some out comes some diesel that you can put right into your car not your gasoline burning car but your diesel burning car and sometimes it smells like yes. french fries is what i've heard <laughs> I had not heard that. I heard that in the uh, so it, there was a bit of a craze in the I don't know early two thousands, maybe late nineties, early two uh thousands, -huh. and you would read about people going to their local restaurants and pumping out the grease traps and turning it into biodiesel, and it smelled like French fries. Wow. Well, I did not. I didn't know it smelled like French fries. That might be true, but yeah, basically you take an oil derived from a plant, typically, and some kind of source of alcohol, and then you put a catalyst in it and you mix it all together and some chemistry happens and you get biodiesel. Mostly the biodiesel that we use is from like new plant material. So oftentimes it's from corn or soybeans. Okay. That's where most of it's from. Um, when we make oil from corn and soybeans, what we're doing is you, you get oil out of the seeds themselves. So the rest of the plant doesn't really have any oil in it. It's just in those little seeds, whether it's the beans or the actual corn kernels. Uh, and, and we'll kind of squish the oil out of those. And then that will go and turn into biodiesel. About 22% of the biodiesel in the U.S. is from waste, from cooking oil or animal fat or whatever it is. It's about 22%, which was a lot higher, honestly, than what I was expecting. Okay. And that's waste from, what kind of waste are we talking about there? So primarily it's processing. Uh, so it's like potato chip factories and, and stuff ah. like that is, is usually what that waste oil is coming from. Well, no one can eat just one. Uh, most of the oil that we use internationally 
it's not always corn and soybeans. Here in the U.S., it's pretty much all corn, soybeans, and then that 22% of it is waste. But internationally, they, there are a lot of different oils that people will use for biodiesel. So they use things like canola oil and sunflower seed oil and tons of different things. But here in the U.S., it's not diversified the same way. Okay. Uh, is that just because we have you know so much of the one thing? Um, I mean, sometimes. Sometimes it's just because in other countries, it's easier to grow other things. It's not as easy to grow corn and soybeans. Here in the Midwest, it's really, really easy to grow things like corn and soybeans. So we do it a lot. Okay. So there is some research being done to, to make cellulosic biodiesel, which would be a lot better because cellulose is what is is the rest of the plant basically right. is not the seed but you know is the leaves and the stalk so if we can make biodiesel using the entire plant instead of just the seeds then you'll be able to get a lot more energy out of the amount of energy you're using to create that plant if that makes sense yeah and the, the cellulose i mean that's the stuff that not even we can really process yeah cows will eat cellulose and like other things that have really tough stomachs but we cannot eat cellulose so it's it often just goes to waste. It'll go to like hog farms or it will go to cows or it will go in like rot in a landfill. But it's usually not being commercially used. Then why does your mom like celery so much? Look, celery is delicious. I love it with peanut butter. I love it with raisins. When I was in grad school, actually, that was one of my go-to snacks is I would make little like ants on a log and I put it in a Tupperware. And one time someone called me out. I was in a seminar eating ants on a log. And one of the other grad students like looked over and was like, is that ants on a log? And I was like, yes, ma'am, it is. Okay, but isn't it ants on a cellulose stick? Oh, my gosh. Well, that that would be pretty cool if we could use the that extra bit of plants that's not currently being used. Yeah, they're trying to do different things with biodiesel development. There's some folks who are trying to do research on like algal biodiesel, which would be helpful if we needed to use more land for like food production. Uh, And there are some studies that show that algal production can be made where you get more calories for less inputs, basically. So there's like some studies that are hopeful that that's like the future of biodiesel. Some people are thinking that cellulosic biodiesel is the future. There's a lot of movement towards like new and improved biodiesels away from this, like just using fresh new, like virgin seed oil as our, our biofuel for our cars. And just so our friend, the listener at home knows when you say calorie, you're talking about a unit unit of energy, the sort of like in a, in a potential form in the plant and they, it can be put into a diesel engine and lit on fire mm. basically and converted into, you know, explosive chemical and then uh, motion energy. I mean, theoretically, right? Yeah. I, I'm just saying when people yeah, hear I, calories, they think, oh, I'm going to get fat. But I mean, it's the same uh-huh. thing. We're just talking about a unit unit of energy that makes a car go. Yeah. And and when we talk about biodiesel, that's often like where the core of the conversation is, is where can we get the most calories for the most input? So if you say like I have one unit of water and I'm getting like two units of energy out of it versus like three units of energy, that's kind of often where the conversation around biodiesel is, is like, do we want like this reused biodiesel from like reused oils? Do we want algal biodiesels? Do we want cellulosic biodiesels? What is going to give you the most like bang for your metaphorical buck or like whatever the input is, whether it's like pesticides or water or fertilizers or all of them combined, what are you going to be able to get the most out of is basically 
the conversation. Okay, I feel like we're starting to go a little off the rails here, but you said one unit of water. I mean, what whatever it is, like whatever the unit. I mean, you can't measure it. You can't get energy out of water. No, but I mean for for like growing a plant, right? So you I think see. about all the okay. inputs that are going to go into growing this plant. Okay. How much of that can? How much of that energy is coming out at the end that you can then use? Okay. As a product of biodiesel. Got it. All right, moving on. On the train. Let's go. Okay. So, how was it developed? Where? How did we get here? Where is biodiesel from? So, biodiesel was developed in Germany. Uh, is this another Nazi story? I asked the same thing when we were doing this research. <laughs> it is not. It is pre-Nazis. All he right. died in 1913, so pre-Nazis. Oh, and his name was Diesel. Okay, Diesel is one of those words you hear and you don't think that it's someone's name, but no, it was it's someone's name. That's awesome. I mean, I guess it's Vin Diesel's name, but I don't really count him. Yes, his name is Rudolf Diesel. I do not know if they were related. <laughs> Rudolf Diesel. I mean, I mean... <laughs> Did he have a red nose? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I mean, maybe he, if he was sniffing too much of his diesel, he would get a red nose. Oh, maybe. So, or if he just drunk too much beer. Yeah. So he invented the actual concept of diesel fuel. Okay. Uh, and he actually started with like bio sourced oil. So he started with I think peanut oil, and then like someone was like, "Hey, bud, you might want to try petroleum." It could also work. And then he kind of switched from using plant-based oil to using synthetic oil. Okay. Synthetic being like, you know, derived from petroleum products, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. So for a long time, petroleum diesel was the standard, but there was a little bit of a resurgence of biodiesel in World War II because a lot of countries in Western Europe didn't have any oil. And so there was kind of a shortage of petroleum diesel. So they started manufacturing biodiesel for engines like planes and and trucks and stuff like that, that they needed for the war effort. But that was kind of just out of necessity. And after World War II, it fell out of favor again. And petroleum diesel again became the almost exclusively standard. There were kind of always a couple of hippies who were trying to do other things with their diesel engines. But it was like 99.99% petroleum diesel for a really long time. So uh, oil is king even then. That's, we know that. Yeah. So in the 1970s in Brazil, there was this man named Expedito Parente, which is another very good name. A lot of good names in this story. It is a good name. Good name episode. He developed a method of industrializing biodiesel. So before this, it was kind of just something that was done out of necessity and not on a very large scale. So he was looking for renewable fuel and it went it went pretty well. It, this was kind of brought on by the oil crisis that happened in the 1970s. But OPEC. What is OPEC? What does that mean? OPEC, the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. They're the ones that brought about the oil crisis. Oh, I never heard that acronym before. Oh, really? It's their fault that you know, they jacked up oil prices and, and lines were around the block waiting for gas. And From this, I guess we got biodiesel. Interesting. Yeah. So, I don't know. This guy, Parente, I guess it went pretty well. Um, and he started manufacturing it on an industrial level. In the 1980s, it kind of spread to more of the rest of the world, particularly in South Africa. They started using sunflower oil. Um, in Europe, it really took off around the 1990s. And in the U.S., it started in, you were right, the early 2000s. Yep. Uh, people went nutso over it. I kind of remember this from my childhood a little bit. 
Yeah, people were talking about it, and there were posts talking about how great it was, and there were posts talking about how you know it wasn't worth it. Um, and what? Was, Where were you that, reading posts in two thousand one? On the internet. Where on the internet? <laughs> uh, mailing lists, uh, websites. Uh, there was a thing called Usenet, which you won't remember. Definitely not. But. You know, there were there were news websites back then as well, and you could go on and read and stuff. Oh, wow. Okay, I guess you showed me. Oh, jeez. Kids, what are you going to do? <laughs> you, know, you have no idea how good you have it. I mean, that's definitely probably true. Uh, so in 2001, it, the U.S. was using 300 million gallons of biodiesel. And in 2016, the U.S. was using 9.3 billion gallons of biodiesel. So... An exponential increase. Yeah. Wow. We went up from millions to billions. Jeez. I had no idea we were using so much. Yeah. So usually when we use biodiesel, it's blended with regular diesel. You can get that at like most pumps will have some kind of blended biodiesel. There's different names for it. So there's a biodiesel called B2. There's one called B5. There's one called B20. Pretty straightforward naming convention. B2 has 2% biodiesel. 98% petroleum diesel, B5 is 5%, B20 is 20% biodiesel, etc. You get the concept. Yep, yep. There is some criticism from folks around it because it's kind of not great for engines, especially the higher percentages. So like B20 can be kind of damaging to your engine. Interesting. Because our engines are just not built for that kind of diesel. They're built for petroleum diesel. Right. Yeah, I'm sort of wondering what the benefit of putting it in is at all. So we started putting it in because people were getting really hyped about it. There was a study showing that it might be more efficient. And the EPA amended the Clean Air Act to add in renewable fuel standards, which required increasing amounts of renewable fuels used in the U.S. And this was not, I mean, it's not super enforceable. It's kind of like a a policy idea. It's a goal. Uh, But because of that, People started including it in diesel and we started getting these mixtures. There are also things like tax breaks and some mandates for government contractors to use more biodiesel. So that's kind of how it it became introduced into these mixtures. Interesting. Yes. It's been very popular in countries that don't have a lot of oil as a source for diesel. Yeah. So there's a lot of countries that are producing some kind of biodiesel, and it's it's a bit bigger in those countries here. Okay. Um, it's a lot about this idea of renewability um, and, and using something that is more, quote-unquote, sustainable or, or environmentally friendly. So that's kind of the main motivation here in the U.S. Other places, it can be very economical if you do not have oil in your country. Right. And everybody needs some form of oil. Yeah, but the U.S. does use a lot of biodiesel. So about 20% of all the biodiesel in the world is used here in the U.S. So it's like a lot. Okay. Uh, Five countries put together. So Germany, the U.S., Brazil, Indonesia, and France use almost 60% of all the biodiesel worldwide. I mean, those are are some of the largest, you know, U.S., Germany, France, uh, and even Brazil, I think, are some of the largest economies. So that makes sense. Indonesia, I would have had no idea, but... Yeah, I don't know why that is. I was very surprised as well. Yeah, maybe they're making it for their own selves. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, large economies, I think it's a good time to go into the break. 
Let's go get paid in the break. Make all that big cash. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. Thank you very much to our Starfruit patron, Lindsay. Holla. Holla. Big thanks to our newest patron, Andrew. Thank you so much for joining our community, our family, our hearts. Thank you very much, Andrew. You are awesome. And if there's something that you're wondering about, something about agriculture that you've seen or heard or read somewhere. You're pondering. You have thoughts. You have questions. Yeah. Send us, send us your thoughts. Send us your questions. Um, one to grow on pod at gmail.com. You can tweet us at one to grow on pod or find us anywhere else at one to grow on pod. We're going to hopefully do a Facebook live March 9th. And if we don't get to your question on the Facebook live, we're hopefully going to do an episode later and we might be able to get to it then. That doesn't, that sounds like we're never, that sounds, hopefully we're going to do one episode after this Facebook live. (laughs) We will do more episodes, but hopefully we'll do one episode about like questions people have and answering those. We will answer your questions on the Facebook Live or in an episode. It will happen. We promise. Yeah. So hit us up. Email one to grow on pod, Twitter one to grow on pod. And it can be a question about something in an episode. It can be something unrelated. Whatever you want. Shoot at us. Hit us up. But now back to the episode. Nope. Not. We still have one more thing to talk about. One more thing to talk about. What could we possibly else have to talk about? What could. Boy, that did not come out. <laughs> it's. It's Catherine's birthday week. (laughs) No way. Happy birthday, producer Catherine. Big happy birthdays. All of the happiest birthdays to our most wonderful and incredible producer Catherine, who did a lot of the research for this episode. She did. She's so wonderful. If you would like to, you can find her at twitter.com backslash Catherine Arget, and you can give her big happy birthday Oh my gosh. It's not a backslash. It's a forward slash. (laughs) Jeez. Backslashes are on Windows command lines. That's the only place you find backslashes, pretty much. I feel like I've never heard someone say the word the word forward slash. I feel like I've never heard that. I mean, they say slash. I've heard people say forward slash, uh, but usually it's just slash slash. Who says? I feel like I've heard backslash and never forward slash. Yeah, people used to say like in the very early days in the internet when when people were like so scared of other people not understanding it in an ad or something they would say go to http colon forward slash forward slash www dot whatever dot com and even i was like oh my gosh that's ridiculous just give the domain name it's fine oh my god this episode is just full of like little nuggets from early internet days little nuggets little nuggets happy birthday Catherine. we love you and we could not do this show without you all right you ready to get back to it let's get back to the episode All right, so we've got a lot of biodiesel all around the world. Yes. Like every like every good thing in agriculture and energy, uh, it's going to be regulated. Yes, there are some regulations. Um, in Minnesota, they mandate that you have at least 2% biodiesel in your diesel. In Canada, I think they have a regulation that it's at least 5%. But other than that, there's not a lot of like mandates saying like you have to have biodiesel, which is interesting because it's showing that there is some kind of like economic driver for this biodiesel. Uh, the only amendment there is that like oftentimes here in the U.S., a lot of the crops that we grow biodiesel with have a lot of subsidies attached to them. So 
you know, sometimes the farmers aren't making as much money at market, but they get some money back from the government. So that's what makes it economically viable. But it's, I don't know, I thought it was very interesting. I honestly thought before doing research for this episode that there was like a national mandate that there be at least some biodiesel in every diesel gas pump. But that is not the case. That would be a lot of biodiesel. Yeah. I mean, it is common to find it in the U.S. Um, and, you know, other places in the country. But here in the U.S., there's not any mandates. There is t- a tax credit associated with having biodiesel. But it's not it's not like a huge thing. I don't think that a lot of folks day to day go out of their way to find biodiesel diesel because it's, you know, a few micro cents cheaper than just okay. petroleum diesel, if that makes sense. Yep. So there are some downsides to biodiesel when we're kind of, I talked about this before, but when we're kind of looking at the environmental benefit of biodiesel, we kind of want to look at how much energy we're putting into making the crop that will be biodiesel. This is a little bit different if we're talking about biodiesel that's made from waste product, which I can t- I'll can talk about a little bit later. But for the biodiesel that's coming from like a fresh plant that was grown for this specific purpose, it I mean, it really depends. Like, it can very much depend on the system in which the plant is grown in, but it's typically a reduction in carbon net, which is good. Well, that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic. Go biodiesel. There are other things, like I said before, like we have subsidies in the U.S. associated with a lot of the biodiesel crops, and that's not always great environmentally because those crops are often grown in monocultures that are huge and often will have issues with the soil or there'll be other environmental issues. You'll have a lot of inputs going into them that will have other environmental detriments. So that's not great. Yeah, I've heard you talk about monocultures before and they they never sound like good things. I don't love them. There are some benefits to having monocultures, but none of them are environmental. So All if right. we're talking about environmental trade-offs, that's a big one. There are some benefits to monocultures, mostly economic, but yeah. Fair enough. Uh, you, we also sometimes will have deforestation where we'll clear land in order to plant a crop for biodiesel. So things like soybeans or palm oil, especially, uh, we typically will like clear forests to go out and like plant new crops in. So also not great environmentally. Yeah, deforestation never sounds like a good thing. No, not great. It's it's not. It's bad. Yeah, it's bad. Especially because a lot of it's happening in South America, where a right. lot of the world's biodiversity is. So we need the biodiversity. We don't really need more biodiesel. And it's a great big carbon sink down there. And we're clearing away some of the stuff that processes the free carbon in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. So we end up with more carbon in the atmosphere. It's heating up the planet. It's not good. Well, I mean, we're pretty high on biodiesel for the most part. Deforestation sounds pretty bad. Um, monocultures are bad, but reduction in carbon's good, and it's going to make everything all better. Sure. I mean, maybe. So there are some organizations comprised of scientists who primarily say that biodiesel can be very good for the planet if you're using oil that has already been used. So oil that already exists that will go to waste otherwise, using that oil as biodiesel is very good. I now, see. So you're not you're not making fresh oil from the plants and then converting that to biodiesel. You're using oil that has already served some other purpose. Yeah. Reduce, reuse, recycle. 
you know? There you go. That's what it is. There's some question around if we end up doing something like algal biodiesel or cellulosic biodiesel, how much of a difference that would make. There's not really scientific conclusion on whether or not that would be environmentally helpful uh, more than what we currently have in just like using seeds to create biodiesel, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the only other thing to consider is that even if like we found a biodiesel that was really great and it was so much more efficient than normal diesel and it had so much less carbon emissions, there is not enough like physical space on the planet to grow oilseed biodiesel to replace petroleum diesel at our current usage levels. Like it's just not possible. So there's kind of a limit to how scalable oilseed biodiesel can be. Now, if we talk about waste oil and animal fat waste and, and stuff like that, then you have a bit more potential because there is a lot of wasted oil that we use in cooking and in processing and stuff like that. So that's kind of that's kind of where biodiesel's at. That's kind of where we're at. I got to say, I came in, especially after all the craze in the early 2000s, a, a mm-hmm. bit of a biodiesel skeptic. But And we got to say that, you know, I guess more research is needed, but it, it can help reduce carbon emissions. We can't grow it, but, you know, when we use it from waste products, then... You know, it's, uh, like you said, recycle, reduce, reuse, um, get that stuff in it. That's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit more, hey, this biodiesel stuff's kind of cool and got potential, and, and I'm glad people are still researching it. Yeah, there's definitely potential there. And there's a lot of discussion around, you know, what power source are we eventually going to use to, like, sustain our planet and like still operate on the planet without utilizing all of its natural resources and biodiesel can be a really good option especially with this like waste oil and animal waste oil source it oil seed is kind of questionable but there are good options for biodiesel and if you have an engine that requires diesel it could work it could work well hey biodiesel for the win and uh, i gotta say if they can find a way to make it smell like french fries, I am all for it. Honestly, that would be good. That would be great. I would love that. That'd be great. Although you might have a, a an uptick in people, you know, turning on their cars and sitting in their garages just to smell the smell and then bad things happen. <laughs> oh my God, that was so dark. Okay, maybe we cut that. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> don't Don't lock yourselves in your garages with your running cars, people. That's a very bad idea. PSA. Chris Casey. PSA. Thanks for listening to this episode of One to Grow On. If you'd like to support the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash one to grow on pod. If you'd like to connect with us, find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at one to grow on pod. The show is hosted by me, Hallie Casey, and Chris Casey. It's produced by Catherine Arjay and Hallie Casey. Our music is Something Elated by Broke for Free, and our show art is by Mariah Coley. Be sure to check out the next episode in two weeks. But until then, keep on growing. Bye, everybody.